and Labor Day, and you can pick up the weekly prayer suggestions and scripture suggestions uh, to seek God's discernment in our process. They're at the welcome desk in the back. Backpacks, don't forget about backpacks for NEMAP. The official deadline for bringing in a backpack that's you know, filled with things is next Sunday. The, the list of what to put in a backpack is, is on the chart in the back in the milling area. I understand that Target hasn't even put out their stuff yet for school. Uh, yeah, good. Um, Staples is having a sale, and what's the name of the place? Star Beacon over on Goodale, a nice little family-owned store. And uh, also Dollar Store is, is, has stuff out, so you can, you can go to those places. But, you know, if we must, we can extend the deadline a little bit, can't we, Roy? Yes, of course. Okay, so uh, I think that's it. Let us join with Aaron and the children in singing Open Doors. Let us join in our opening prayer. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may worthily love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. I understand that Chris is going to explain our first hymn. Well, there's not much to explain, just to say that it is a new hymn, but one that is quite singable, um, and one that is really, uh, you know, those bands that just have one-hit wonders. This was kind of the, a one-hit wonder for Robert J.B. Fleming, who was a Canadian uh, composer. Um, so I'm going to have Andrew line out the melody to uh, one of the verses, and then I'll sing verse one, and then I invite everyone to stand and join me in singing uh, the rest of the verses of Let There Be Light. It's number 440.
we get so caught up in music that we forget to look for the scripture reader. So our, what? I do, I do, John. Way to, way to put on the heat. reading is from Hebrews 9, verse 11 through 22. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, Christ entered once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls with the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer sanctifies those who have been defiled so that their flesh is purified, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to worship the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance because a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions under the first covenant, 
Where a will isn't involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Hence, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been told to all the people by Moses in accordance with the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the scroll itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. There's our practice at King Avenue Church to pray with and for each other during the week. At this time, Colleen and I will walk among you to collect the prayer cards that are found in the back of the pew in front of you. And we'll use this opportunity to continue to sing some of our favorite hymns. So we'll start with number 357, Just As I Am, and we'll sing verses 1, 2, and 3. And we'll follow that with hymn number 420. So we'll start again with 357, verses 1, 2, and 3. Number 420, we'll sing the first two verses of 420, Breathe on me, breath of God.
Thank you. Let us continue in prayer. Creating and nourishing God, we come to your meal today with a variety of hungers. Some of us come for a hunger for healing in our body, others in our souls, others in our spirits, others with a hunger for relationship, a hunger for community. Some of us have a hunger for meaning and purpose and significance. Some of us have a hunger for employment, for housing, for physical food. Lord, we come to you for the nourishment and your presence that will meet our hungers and fill us. Lord, we ask that all our prayers, both spoken and unspoken, are acceptable to you and that you will fill us. In Christ's name, amen. This week we had a really good Bible school that was uh, refreshing and renewing. Um, excellent adult class and excellent children's classes, and we are thankful for all our volunteers and helpers and uh, participants and your offering support, uh, that wonderful experience that we had Monday through Friday this week. At this time, let us worship God with our tithes and our offerings.
let there be light and let there be understanding. May these gifts be used to spread the light of your unconditional love and acceptance. May these gifts be used to spread understanding to all people. May these gifts be used to let people know there is wonder in this world. May all our gifts be acceptable to you. In Christ's name, amen. Our gospel lesson is from Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me and he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Holy Communion and the Lord's Supper and Eucharist are all terms that are used uh, correctly for one of two sacraments practiced in the United Methodist Church and in Protestant churches generally. Now you've probably heard the, the definition of a sacrament, an outward and a visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. The sacraments are ritual acts of the church that communicate God's love and grace and provide new occasions for experiencing it. 
For Protestants, our two main sacraments, our two sacraments are baptism and communion. And they are distinguished by being acts that Jesus experienced in such a way that revealed his divine nature and that Jesus commanded his followers to continue. So on this uh, day and on the next three communion Sundays, I'm going to lift up different aspects of the significance of communion, um, kind of teaching sermon, so that we can maybe appreciate it more. In one of the congregations I served in the past, which shall remain nameless, I had a difference of opinion with a person who was responsible for decorating the sanctuary for worship. On communion Sundays, I wanted to move the communion elements from the place where they were traditionally kept from every minister before me on a big, large box altar in a a sanctuary shaped a little differently than this, all the way back at the top of the highest level of the sanctuary in its own little nave. It was really far away from people. And I thought it seemed impersonal and almost like there was just a transaction going on between me and God. And I wanted to serve the communion elements from a table, a lovely table that was down front on the level of the people and distribute the elements from there. She was adamantly certain that the theologically proper thing to do was to put them on the altar while I said that I really would like them at the table. But uh, she was a thoughtful person and very, very conscientious. So I decided I needed to do some research and really figure out more about the meaning of communion. And I explored, does communion belong on an altar or a table? And I want to share some of that with you today. The two scriptures that you've heard are kind of an altar and a table scripture. If you'd notice, the first one is about a sacrifice on an altar, and the second one is about Jesus' wonderful fellowship at table. Um, So I want to talk about Holy Communion this holy mystery, which is the title of the United Methodist 2004 reflection about communion, this holy mystery. I want to talk about remembrance and sacrifice and forgiveness of sin, which are just a few of the elements, aspects of communion. So if we went to the Gospels, we'd find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, Jesus the story of Jesus' communion meal, as well as his request that followers continue the practice. And those biblical accounts of Jesus' words and the experiences that went on around them strongly influenced the practice of communion in the earliest days of the Christian church, and they still do to this day. And I'd encourage you to look for those accounts and read them. You might find it interesting. They're all slightly different, but have a lot in common. If we were to read those passages, we would learn that what we call the the Lord's Supper began as the Last Supper, really his Last Supper, a meal that occurred literally on the last night of his life. Reading those stories now, one can hardly help but notice that there is just kind of death and foreboding in the air. 
I'm moving over this way because I'm going to come to the piano soon. Uh, there was a woman who anointed the Lord with um, perfume symbolically to prepare his body for burial. Judas has a secret meeting with religious leaders who oppose Jesus. And while they were at the table, Jesus revealed that one of the disciples would betray him. But for most of the disciples sharing the meal that night, they, they missed those signs of foreboding, and it's understandable because they were having a celebratory meal, a meal ordained by God for the remembrance of the Passover, the occasion more than a thousand years before then that was the climax of God's work to save the Hebrew people from oppression and enslavement in Egypt. During the course of the meal, Jesus took broken bread and a cup of wine, identified them as his body and blood, invited them to eat and drink them, and enjoined them to use subsequent meals to remember him. A lot of the complexity and, and power of the sacrament arise from the fact that Jesus takes a meal designed to remember and symbolically reenact one distant event in the past and turns it into an occasion to remember an event still developing. To make it even more complicated, he, he speaks of his blood in metaphorical ways, his blood in relationship to a covenant, maybe even a new covenant, alluding to yet a different significant event in the history of the people. There were echoes of the past filling the event. After Christ's resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' followers understood that his death wasn't just unjust suffering executed upon an unorthodox religious leader, but they, they recalled the words at the Last Supper and they started to see his death as a sacrifice. And there is an aspect of communion that is just like a memorial, which gives the ritual a somber tone that's the tone I grew up with exclusively about communion, where the elements were far up on that altar in the sanctuary. And it was a somber tone, and it was appropriate for a time to humbly acknowledgement, acknowledge that there was a huge loss that had been suffered in service of a higher good. Communion music in churches used to sound much like a funeral. And I used to think of it uh, something like a Memorial Day observance, but there, were, uh, there are a few important differences. So one of the songs that we often sang at communion, if you will turn to let all mortal flesh keep silence, which is, oh, 626. This is very much what it sounded like in the sanctuary of my remembrance. Let all mortal flesh keep silent. That was too loud. It was much quieter than that. You can sing with me because I don't like to, I don't do solos. Let all Under the 
solemn and quiet, and God died. You know, there's a powerful scene at the end of the film, Gran Torino, I don't know how many of you have seen it, but uh, Clint Eastwood, who is the uh, hero, basically sacrifices himself to bring to justice a violent gang that's been bullying two good, kind teenagers in his neighborhood that he's befriended. Uh, and it's a powerful scene, but I noticed as I watched the film again, a second and third time, that the sacrifice is given a different tone because it seems that he actually was probably suffering a serious illness and his death was maybe imminent. And in some ways, his sacrifice was a way of him taking control of his death um, and serving it to a good end. And in, in this death of Jesus, when we think about God coming into human flesh, it's completely gratuitous. There's a breach of a boundary that, that God goes through in order to become incarnate in Christ. And there's nothing necessary of it. There's no higher good for God's sake that is being pursued. In fact, it's all, it's all for us taking on human flesh, taking on the suffering, taking on the injustice, taking on the mortality and the death. One thing that was good about that quiet, quiet aspect of communion for me, because we had to wait a long time while people passed the plates with the little bread cubes and the little cups, was that I, I thought a lot during that time, and it helped me learn how to be introspective and reflective and prayerful second thing that's different about this uh, aspect of suffering and sacrifice that's different than a Memorial Day. Uh, soldiers who we honor on Memorial Day occasions, they yield their lives to the value of the ideals and goals of their homeland, and goals that we all hold up as good and worthy and important enough to sacrifice for. But when the earliest Christians reflected on the behavior of the people involved with Jesus during the time of his death, particularly if you think right around the events, they didn't see any great nobility of spirit demonstrated. His friends abandoned and denied him and betrayed him. And the religious leaders and government leaders demonstrated callous and cruel behavior and calculating at every step. They, those who put him to death uh, displayed a kind of real gritty indifference to Jesus. We don't have to make a big leap to see that his death is a response to sin, a sacrifice to save sinners. And that gave the early church pause. St. Paul, in the letter to Romans, says, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for good persons, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We, uh, at King Avenue, we do a kind of shortened version of the of the communion service. If we were doing the whole thing, we would have a prayer of confession, and, and the words of the prayer of confession kind of capture the wide range of what we dump into the understanding of the human problem of sin.
Merciful God, the liturgy goes, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We've failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. It goes on, free us for joyful obedience. How could Jesus make a sacrifice that affected anything about the sins of others? When he used the language of the blood of the covenant to describe the cup of wine he shared with the disciples, he suggested an incident in Israel's history, the sealing of the covenant of the law given to Moses. Part of that history is recounted in the scripture passage from Hebrews. After Moses read all the terms of the law, that God gave to the people, including the Ten Commandments. He wrote them down and built an altar at the foot of Mount Sinai, and then they sacrificed a, a bull and sprinkled some of the blood on the altar and then sprinkled some of it on the people to seal their agreement to the Lord's covenant of law. God gives it and we obey it. In the Old Testament covenant of law, priests were prescribed ways to bring resolution. Get that burden off me of sin. Resolution to people's transgressions against the law through various kinds of sacrifices. In the passage that we heard from Hebrews, the writer also talks about the rite of atonement as a way of understanding the sacrifice of Christ's death. The ritual of atonement was made every year, once a year, only by the high priest, who was able to enter the holy of holiest places, which is why I think that altar was up as far against the wall and tucked in as it could go, and make a sacrifice for the people and the sins that were not intentional or identified and sacrificed for earlier in the year could kind of all be resolved in one bunch. And that also involved sacrificing a bowl and sprinkling its blood in the Ark of the Covenant. The writer of Hebrews is confident that Christ's sacrifice is superabundant, enough to end all other need for sacrifice, certainly all sacrifice for sin, only one time offered, but enough for all time. And this idea of the superabundance of that gift is one of the inspirations of one of the hymns that we hardly ever sing in the hymnal. It's uh, 622. There is a fountain filled with blood. We're only going to do the very first half of the first verse. But this idea, um, the first half of the first verse, the first half of the second verse, this idea is that Okay, if there is a way in Jesus to get rid of the burden of my sin, bring it on, I need a flood. So let's try it. This is an old camp meeting song. losing all their guilty stains four more times. So let's go back to the second verse and just do the first half and then we'll be done with that one. This is image, uh, imagining the scene of the other people being crucified next to Jesus. 
Um, and there's the fountain. The So resolution of sin is the focus of the altar in the covenant of the law. But that still seems kind of external and mechanical to me. And that's why I like to think about Holy Communion as occurring at a table. When we think of sin being an obstacle between people, I think of all of the stories of Jesus, like the one we read in, in Matthew, where Jesus expanded the notion of hospitality by welcoming people to his table who others didn't think worthy to be there. Jesus, when he spoke about the covenant in his blood, also uses the term new covenant. And I think this helps us get to why a table can be just as appropriate as an altar. When Jesus used the word new covenant, he was picking up on the, the idea of the, expressed in the prophet I, I Jeremiah, chapter 31. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, the covenant they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I'll put my law within them, and I'll write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. I will be their God and they will be my people. And starting to establish that new covenant, table fellowship with sinners and hospitality and welcome are so important. Because Jesus invites us into a covenant where the law is to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. And that covenant is sealed by faith in Jesus and renewed and remembered and celebrated each time we again take the blood of the new covenant. And that table fellowship with sinners is easy for us all to relate to. For me, it's easy because food and feeding people and, and it's my love language, and it must have been something like Jesus' love language too. He was known for table fellowship that stretched the rules of food purity, that tolerated shocking transgression of social norms and made pious people outraged. He ate with the hated tax collectors who often did unjust practices in their collection. He allowed a woman to wipe his feet with her hair as she expressed her gratitude for his forgiveness while he reclined at table and many more, the stories of Zacchaeus and others, Jesus welcoming sinners into fellowship. One of the important results that came out of 
the 2004 study, This Holy Mystery by the United Methodist Church, is that it clarified a very important and distinctive teaching of the United Methodist Church about Holy Communion, which is that we have an open table. All other Protestant churches, uh, or the mainline ones, uh, believe that communion is a table for those who have been brought into the church, that it is the feeding for people of faith. But we have an open table because John Wesley believed that the experience of responding to the words of invitation and institution could be themselves the occasion to spark faith in our hearts. And I love the old words of the liturgy, come ye all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest for, my, for your souls. And then, all you who truly and earnestly repent of your sin, draw near and take this sacrament to your comfort. One of the other things that I used to do, experience as a little girl when, like at this church, we had communion rails where we knelt to receive communion, I would hear the words about Jesus' light yoke, and I would imagine my sins as things that were heavy. That I sat down right here, and I left them, and I took communion. So, an altar and a table. I, I have to tell you, we ended up rotating each time we did communion because really the altar and the table are both central to our communion with God. God's absolute superabundant forgiveness, our offering to God, our repentance and our longing for communion and the fellowship at the table are both parts of what we experience joyfully once a month. Oh, I wish it were more. And um, when we bring them both together, I think we really are able to get the feeling that is expressed in number 617, which is a communion hymn that's my favorite and rather new. Uh, 616 is come sinners to the gospel feast and that's all about that open table but then um, I come with joy let's do the first verse of that I come with joy to meet my Lord forgiven loved and May it be so. Amen. The hymn that we're going to sing right now, Let Us Break Bread Together, is still the most uh, popular one in the United Methodist Church for communion, even though not very many places are still kneeling. Um, but if you want to, after you take communion today, come forward, or even before, if you want to kneel at the, at the rail and, and experience that, um, I'd invite you to to do that, you're free to do that.
So let's join in. Let us break bread together. thanksgiving. God, you are here. Lift up our hearts. When we give you thanks, it is right and good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, 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 God of power. 
Blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. At his ascension, you exalted him to sit and reign with you at your right hand. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, both now and forever. Amen. 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 Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. The bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. And the cup over which we give thanks is a sharing in the life of Christ. These are the gifts of God for the people of God and are offered to all. Will the helpers and ushers please come forward?
Please join us in our communion hymns, starting with number 620, One Bread, One Body. we 
Next we'll sing number 623. 623, Here, O my Lord, I see thee.
redeemed by his blood, bought with a price to live in a new covenant of love by faith. Go now in peace to love and serve the Lord as you go throughout your week. In Jesus' name, amen.